As you can see, our next Bible study will be in the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament. So there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. I'll uh, just break the, the news to you right now that we're only going to get through verse 1 today. <laughs> but it's not my intention to spend 65 years on this book, just so you know. But, um, the book of Judges. Pretty much everybody in here has been to the doctor before, and the dentist. And so when, when we go to the doctor, we go there because we realize that we have a problem that we can't handle ourselves. So if you go to a therapist or a psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, so you go somewhere for counseling or you go to a pastor, um, you're recognizing that there's an issue, a concern, and you need some outside help, some kind of source advice from the outside. So if you go to the doctor, you're looking for medical help. If you go to a, a pastor, uh, you're indirectly uh, going to God. You're, you're turning your, your matter over to Him. Uh, it's the same thing that we do when we pray. Uh, we're asking uh, God to help us. And so uh, I bring this up. It's kind of elementary, but I bring it up for us to just take a, take a moment right from the very beginning to just recognize in our lives that, uh, you know, all of us want to be self-sufficient, but uh, at different times we need help. Uh, something is wrong and we need help. A, uh, a Christian couple, a married couple that were Christians, uh, came for counseling to the pastor. And they came to the pastor because they were arguing about money. All the time, arguing about money. And the argument was how to spend the money that they were making from their wife's very successful fortune-telling business. And so they came to the pastor because they're always arguing about how to spend this money. Well, what is your first reaction to that scenario? This situation that they've found themselves in? You know, tarot cards, a deck of tarot cards, or a Ouija board have absolutely no place in a Christian home, let alone for a married Christian couple to have their own business in fortune-telling. That's divination. It is an abomination. It's forbidden. None of this should be happening at all. So when they come to the pastor for finance counseling, we can do that. We can talk about a biblical approach to how to handle finances and marriage. But honestly, we shouldn't even be having the discussion in the first place, right? There was a Christian woman who married a man who said that he was a Christian. 
He said he believed in God. He said he believed in Jesus. But he didn't go to church. He'd had too many bad experiences with Christians and church. And so he worshiped God in his own way. But in reality, he wasn't a believer at all. He was a self-identified Christian, but there had been no new birth. And so as the marriage settled in, because they were married now, as the marriage settled in, uh, the guy, uh, the husband, he would go have drinks with the guys after work. There was a poker night. And when business took him out of town, they always seemed to find the local strip club. And on the weekends, he wanted to go do things. Saturday and Sunday was his days off, so he wanted to go to the lake, he wanted to go camping, or he wanted to sleep in. But she wanted to take her kids to church, and she was hoping he would go. And so they were going in different directions. They had a different set of priorities. Well, what's your reaction to this couple that would come to a pastor for counseling? It shouldn't be happening in the first place, right? So when they come to the pastor, what's, what's he going to say to the man? What do you say to this man? He's not even a believer. You can say... Maybe you should spend more time at home. <laughs> or you could say, you know, you need to be more sensitive to your wife's feelings. You know, she needs to know that your heart is at home. She needs to know that you're faithful to her. And, you know, I could bring in biblical principles. I could say something like, you know, uh, to lead, leadership means serving the people that you lead. You don't lord over anything, a, a true servant is a true leader. You can introduce all that, but at the end of the day, you know, he answers not to God, he answers to the flesh. He, he answers to the world. He answers to the evil one. Kind of a tough spot for counseling. And to the woman, what are you going to say to her? This Christian woman. Well, the Bible has some very specific things to say about how she should proceed. But the whole entire conversation shouldn't be occurring in the first place. Well, how should we describe these Christians? How would you describe them? You know, in both cases, wrong decisions were made. You have a married Christian couple who have a fortune-telling business. And then you have a Christian woman who has married an unbeliever. So how do we describe those Christians? Well, first of all, um, these kind of things don't happen overnight. You know, long before there was a, a, a permit for this business obtained, long before the vendor's license was obtained, long before a lease was put down on some storefront property for this business, long before any of that ever occurred, there was a fascination with the supernatural. And it took full bloom. And the woman, she was lonely. He made her laugh. He made her feel good. She, she, he made her happy. 
And so she thought to herself, God's not going to call the shots on this one. In both cases, there is a, a disregard for God's warnings. There is a disregard for God's commands. There is disobedience. There is compromise. And as 1 John would say, there is a love for the world. What's that mean, to love the world? It means that you have decided to try to find happiness apart from God. God's children can find themselves in terrible situations before they finally turn to God. And that is the context for the book of Judges. We remember that a long time ago that the, the nation of Israel uh, was in Egypt. Abraham and his family moved there during a famine. Joseph was um, in second in command in Egypt. And so when they moved there, it was on friendly terms. But several hundred years later, the Israelites found themselves still in, still in Egypt and slaves. And so God raised up Moses, and Moses led Israel out of Egypt, led, is, led Israel out of captivity. And they left Egypt, and they, they came all the way up to the edge of the promised land, and then they lost heart, we remember. And so that generation perished in the wilderness. They perished in that area between Egypt and the Promised Land. And they wandered around in that area until that entire generation had perished. And then Moses died, and Joshua took his place. And that brings us very close to where we are in the book of Judges. This is a timeline of the entire Bible And if you've been coming to this church for a while, you could maybe think of some of the books that we've studied. We studied Mark. So you can see where Mark would fall into that. First John. What about Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah? Where would that fall? That's after the exile, isn't it? But today we're zooming in on the conquest, judges, and the kingdom. So this is where we're at. Um, this is our area of focus. The book of Joshua is the conquest. This is when the nation of Israel entered the promised land. So that one generation perished in the wilderness. Moses passed away and then Joshua became the leader. And so that next generation was ready to enter the promised land. They were ready to trust God to protect them when they entered. It wasn't going to be easy. Conquest means war. You know, this was uh, not going to be easy. And But they had finally came to that place in their lives where they were ready to trust God to take them into the promised land. And so the period of the judges begins with the death of Joshua. At the conclusion of that conquest, when Joshua dies... That's when the period of the Judges begins. The period of the Judges ends 
with the coronation of Israel's first king, Saul. So this is the period of the judges. It's uh, more than 300 years. For us to truly appreciate the book of Judges, we have to understand what happened in the, in the book of Joshua. And the reason is because Joshua is season one and Judges is season two. It is, Judges is the sequel to Joshua. You know, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. They're together. They're one. And just like in the Hebrew Bible, First and Second Kings is just kings. First and Second Samuel is just Samuel. So Judges and Joshua are very interwoven and connected. It's really important for us to understand how the book of Joshua plays out because it's 24 chapters and you can take a knife and divide it right down the middle. The first 12 chapters of Joshua have to do with the conquest. And you'll remember what that means when the nation of Israel entered the promised land. Do you remember how that went? The very first place they had to attack was Jericho. And God stopped the Jordan River at flood stage. And He separated the water and He dried the ground. And the Israelites crossed into the promised land through the Jordan River at flood stage on dry ground. And that was the beginning of this conquest. And what basically happened was the entire area was full of city-states. These were fortified cities with high walls and with armies. And they were throughout the land. And so in these first 12 chapters of Joshua, what he did is he attacked them all. And they conquered all of them. So the first half of the book of Joshua has to do with possessing the land, going into it and taking possession. Possessing the land uh, to God, His definition of possessing the land is annihilating the people who were already living there. You know what that means to annihilate? God's definition was to enter the promised land, and annihilate everybody who was already living there. The Canaanites. The Canaanites is a general term for the people who were living there at the time. Well, how does that sit with you? Does that sit well with you? Do you like hearing that God would want that? The slaughter of men, women, and children? Many times they're, they're animals. Why would God do that? Why would God want that? Why did God want the Canaanites to be annihilated? Well, there are two reasons. Two very good, strong reasons. But before I even talk about those two reasons, we need to remember something. We need to remember that first, the Canaanites had some options. They could have repented. We saw that happen in Jericho with Rahab and her family. As we get into Judges chapter 1, we're going to see somebody else do that. The Canaanites had the opportunity to repent. 
And they also had the opportunity to leave. But option number three was the one that they chose, almost all of them, and that was to stay and fight. And so the Canaanites chose to go against God, to be on the wrong side of what God was wanting to do. They chose to stand up to him and go toe-to-toe. So remember that, yes, God did want them annihilated, but they had the option of repenting, just like everyone does today. They had the option of leaving, but they chose to stay and fight. And so the annihilation, the destruction of these people, was for two reasons. The main one was because of judgment. God was judging those people. For the Canaanites, their time was up. You know, we studied 1 John last week and we looked at chapter 5 and there's a sin that leads to death. There is a sin that leads to death in a believer's life. A believer can do things to a point to where God says, I've had enough. We're not doing this anymore. That can happen to a Christian. Well, it can happen here on earth. We have to remember that, that God does judge people here on earth right now. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, now I'll say this about this. Uh, there's several places in the Old Testament, long before you ever get to Joshua, and long before you ever get to Judges, where God had plenty to say about the Canaanites and the way they were living and the things that they were doing that was wrong. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, God tells the Israelites, He says, The Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness, not because you guys are so great. He actually says in chapter 9, He says, You are a stiff-necked people. This is not happening because you're so good and so obedient. The reason they're going to be driven out is because of their wickedness. I am judging them. And if you wonder why, there are plenty of gory details. You can look at Leviticus chapter 18 or, or Deuteronomy chapter 18 if you need to see some examples of what these people were up to. If, if somehow in your mind that God needs to, be just, needs to justify Himself and answer to you about why He feels the way He needs to, you know, and so while we're being so critical of God and we gorge ourselves on violence on, with violence on television, and then we want to critique God, if you need to, you can go to Leviticus 18 or Deuteronomy chapter 18 and you, you'll see all of the gory details of what these Canaanites are doing. God does judge people here on earth. But of course, this pales in comparison to the final judgment that the lost will face before the great white throne. It's only a matter of time. You know, the Canaanites, in addition to adultery and incest and homosexuality and bestiality, they were preoccupied with fertility and production. And this is represented in their religious beliefs, their fertility religions. So their gods, like, like Baal, or their goddesses like Asherah, Asherah, however you want to say that, uh, they believed that when the gods had sex, their sexual activities 
had an immediate impact on their crops and their animals and their fertility. And they believed that uh, the gods were inspired by their sexual activity, the Canaanites. They were stimulated by their sexual behaviors. And so these, these people did all kinds of things in their worship, in their temples, in their, their high places. There was sacred prostitution. There was child sacrifice. There was snake worship. You see, God permitted Israel to enter into limited agreements and contracts, if you want to call them covenants, with nations outside of the borders of the promised land. Limited but not inside. The people inside were to be destroyed and all of their evil, filthy religious practices. It was all to be destroyed. They could have repented. They could have left. They chose to stand and fight and they fell underneath the mighty judgment of God. That's the reason. The second reason is because God wanted Israel to be set apart and pure, just like He wants us to be. He wants us to have clean lives and to not be all corrupted with everything. And so God wanted them to be sanctified. He didn't want these corrupting influences to be dwelling with His people. So if you've became a Christian and you're trying to live right, and you've taken the high road, you're, you're on high ground, and you're up on a ledge, and you're leaning over the ledge, is it easier for, for you to pull someone up, or is it easier for them to pull you down? So this is the first half of the book of Joshua. It's all about entering the promised land, conquering all of these city-states. And then the last half of the book has to do with dividing up the land. So they've, they've taken control of the promised land and it is divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it falls upon the responsibility of each one of those tribes to go to their respective lands and purify it, cleanse it, even though a city-state may have fallen, there were many Canaanites still living in the land. They had to be moved out. So the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, when they went to their respective places, there were Canaanites there. And they were to be removed. Cleansed. The land was supposed to be clean. That's the second half of the book of Joshua. Well, did they do what God wanted? What kind of a job did they do? We find the answer in the very first book verse of the book of Judges. Let's read our let's read our, our verse here. I told you we'd finally get to Judges. <laughs> it says after the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord. Who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? You see anything wrong with that? It 
if the nation of Israel entered the promised land, they conquered all the city-states, then the last half of the entire book of Joshua, chapters 13 through 24, is about the tribes going to their respective places and cleansing the land. Then at the end of the conquest, why are we in the book of Judges and the questions being asked, who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? They were still there. They didn't run them out. And this introduces the book of Judges, the period of the Judges. It is the time after the conquest, but before there is a king. It is, it is the time when God's people chose to live with the world. There was a disregard on their part for God's warnings, a disregard for God's commands. There was disobedience and compromise. And what did all of this lead to? Crisis. When the, when the woman married an unbeliever, it led to a crisis. When the married Christian couple decided to do something that is like blatantly wrong and go into fortune telling business and they were making a lot of money and then they were arguing about how to spend it. This led them to the pastor for advice. A crisis. And this is what happens in the book of Judges. God's people were living wrong. They had disregarded God's warnings. Disregarded His commands. They had made many compromises and this led them to a bad situation where they were in trouble crisis this is the situation in the in the book of judges now what should happen over the next couple of weeks the next two weeks is uh, next week if everything goes as planned we'll study judges chapter one and it will it will all go all the way into the first five verses of chapter two and then the next time we'll be studying chapter 2 and it'll go into a little bit of chapter 3. Because what the book of Judges does is it, uh, it opens with an introduction to the period of time. But when it does it, it does it first from Israel's perspective. The way Israel sees it. And then it's going to introduce the period of time the way God sees it. And after that, we are deep into the period. We are inside the period when Israel goes through a total of six cycles. And this is what they look like, these cycles here. Did that change? There we go. So after Israel says, this is the way we see it, and then God says, this is the way I see it, the book of Judges, the core, the, the center of the whole book, will move us through this cycle six times. And if you look at that closely, you will see where you want to be. God wants us to, to walk in the light because when we walk in the light, we have forgiveness of sin, we have fellowship. This is where 
at the top of the chart there, at the top of the cycle, this is where we find true peace, true happiness, and true rest. I hope that uh, you will enjoy this book as we begin to study it together uh, for the primary reason of recognizing the advantages of living for God and why it is smart and logical and why it pays off big dividends. You know, all these people put all that money into, what is it, GameStop and all this stuff, made all this money. You know, there are big dividends for living for God. And this is the message of the, the book of Judges. So let's pray.